So I'm going to just pray for the word as we get into it, if you will. All right, Father, thank you for the power of your word. I believe that you have a treasure for us today. Speak clearly through your word to our hearts, Lord God. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Give us minds that are willing to do what you want us to do. So Spirit of God, I ask, take these words, take the, your word, plant it in hearts, and may it plant so well and produce so much fruit. By the grace of God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to look at a passage that we looked at last week, but instead of studying it, we're going to look at it briefly. Instead of studying it, we're going to go to Isaiah 6, which just happened. Wasn't it the last song that we sang that we sang about Isaiah 6? I think it was the last song. But we sang about that passage, as well as the throne room in heaven of, Re of Revelation 4 and 5. But we're going to look at that and ask some questions. I believe the Lord has a lot for us to glean, a lot of application. Um, but I, I want to tell you a story, and many of you already know this story. Matter of fact, you may have heard it twice, but I don't think Lucas heard it, so this will be his first time anyway. But several years ago, I think Juliana was a teenager, uh, maybe early 20s, but she had her 99 Toyota Camry, and she we, we were doing a, a teen event, uh, like a scavenger hunt. And so she was in the car with a couple of the kids, parked right next to Ruth's Chris, not parked, but at the stoplight right next to Ruth's Chris, if you know where that is, okay? And if you go straight, you can jump on I-4 South, right? Of course, she's not doing that. But all of a sudden, this navigator in front of her backs up right into her car, crunches the hood, the tow package, you know, that thing in the bottom of the rear bumper, pokes a hole right through the bumper and just demolishes the front end. And it's like, what just happened? The lady jumps out of the car, goes to the very back and says, oh my goodness, um, um, I'm so sorry. Tell you what, let me go get my insurance. So she goes into her car to get her insurance and the light turns green and she speeds off. And she, she hops on the egg, the um, ramp to I-4, and someone that, was, that saw the accident pursued her. All the way down the Maitland Boulevard. I'm talking 46A, all the way down to Maitland Boulevard. Do you know how many miles that is this person pursued them? And uh, not weaving in and out of traffic, but trying to get close enough to maybe pull over, talk with them. She could only write down the license plate. When the police got there, the license, the they, they researched the license plate, could not find it in their database. This is the police, couldn't find it in the database anywhere. And we're thinking, how does this happen? I get the license plate, and I can't tell you how many times I'm online with these different websites trying to track down this license plate. Who owns this? Where do they live? Because And now we, we our insurance is going to have to pay for it. That's going to impact my insurance. I'm sure of it. And so we're just praying. Actually, when we were there at Ruth's Christ, we held hands, and we just prayed, Lord, this is not Juliana's fault. Help us to be able to find the person who did this. We just pray for justice, Lord God, please, in this situation. We're at your mercy. And so, you know, the, the policeman did what he could. We thanked him. And then 
I'm online, can't find the vehicle, that license plate anywhere. Six days later, so that was a Friday night, six days later, Thursday morning, I walk on Park Lincoln of Longwood parking lot. I do their paint work for vehicles. I'm working on a car, and one of the service advisors comes to me and says, hey, Mike, we've got a, a vehicle here. It's, it's got a, a crease in the rear bumper. It's a new vehicle. So I was just wondering, can you, can, is it something you can do? So I said, yeah, give me just a minute. I'll check it out, and I'll get back with you. So I go over to the building in which it's parked, and I look at it, and there, the crease is about a foot long, and it's like, man, that this is a new vehicle. It's got to turn out perfect. I don't think I can make it look perfect. So I look in the back seat of the, the vehicle. I open the door, look in the back, and man, the 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 cover to the tow package is crumbled up. It's like, wow, that is, dem man, did they hit something. Close the door, I'm looking at it, and I'm just thinking, maybe I could, no, I really shouldn't. And all of a sudden, I step back from the vehicle, because I'm up close, and I look at it, and I remember the license plate number. And I thought, this is the vehicle that backed into my daughter. What are the chances? Like one in a million. Seriously. And I just happened to be there then. It came to that service advisor of all the service advisors who tries as hard as he can to give me work. I just happened to be, I couldn't do it, but I go in and I, I say, can you please give me the name and address of this person? I explain the situation. He says, sure. This, her dad is a regular customer, buys all of his vehicles for park, from Parks Lincoln of Longwood. So I realized this is a sticky situation. I go and I sit down with the used car manager. There's two of them. I sit down with the older one, and I've known Joe Kay for like 20 plus years. And so, but this was, this was a while ago. So I'm, I'm talking with Joe in the break room, and I barely launch into my story, and in walks the other used car manager, in walks the salesman who sold this, v this navigator to the lady and two other salesmen, and they're listening in on it. And I say, Joe, what would you like me to do? I want to, this is a delicate situation. The police are probably going to have to come and write up paperwork, get the information and so on. So you help me walk through this. So he kind of said, Mike, it would be nice if you did this. And I, can, I said, I can do that. When I'm done, the other used car manager, and to this day, I've known this used car manager for like 25 years. And, and, and he's heard me share the gospel and so on and so forth. And he says, Mike, are you talking about the, the navigator that this guy sold last week and Bubba on and on he went and I said that's it yes and this that and he overheard what happened he says Mike do you realize that's like one in a million chance and it happened and you happen to be here today and you and and all the salesmen are like what this is just too unreal too unreal well, we were able to take care of the situation. Unfortunately for the lady, it happened on Father's Day when the policeman knocked at the door. I truly think the policeman planned it that way. I really do. She got 12 points on her license, lost her license right there in front of her kids. She said, please, can you come back another day to deal with this? It's Father's Day. And the police officer stood at the door and said, no, ma'am, I will not. I'm here now. He was not real happy because it was a hit and run. And so the very next week, I am going through the service drive, cross paths with the GM, and the GM says, hey, Mike, walk with me. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Maybe they don't like the fact that did I lose a customer for them? What's going on? And I turn around and start walking with them. And he says, Mike, 
I've heard the story about that navigator, and I want you to know there is someone upstairs looking out for you. I said, yeah, let me tell you about him. So I had a chance to just share briefly, and then he went in and, and went into his um, plush office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there were seeds that were sown. This happened, what, 10 plus years ago. And salesmen have come and gone. These two, sale, these two managers are still there. One is Catholic, the other is Episcopal. And there's been many opportunities to just share with them. I'm seeing a difference, but I don't know exactly what to make of it. And the truth is, your testimony, remember the light that you shined at your feet and that shined at the other's feet? That is the, you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus, you, you are a son or a daughter of light, and you share that light with others, and that light is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has impacted you. That light has transformed your life. And now you get to share that story with other people. But I want to tell you, so many people, if they don't laugh in your face or mock you there, they will walk away as if, not, as if what you said was just off the wall. Well, that's a nice story. And we can feel this way. It's so many, they hear, and whether they're impacted or not, we can't even tell. Can I just tell you, nobody came to Christ that I'm aware of. But I know that it impacted those, two, those used car managers. And I know that it impacted the salesmen who were there. I don't, none of them are here today at that dealership. But if you ever relayed an amazing encounter with God, perhaps your testimony and others simply just rejected it, or they did nothing, Isaiah had a life-changing experience. We read about it in Isaiah 6, and we're going to look at that. That his people rejected, and God warned him that that would happen. See, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus, and it undid him. We're going to talk about that. And I'm just going to suggest that God's glory, his majesty, his light has been turned on in your life. And to some degree, you have experienced the glory of God. Maybe not in a, in, in a way similar to Isaiah's, but you've, impact, you've been impacted by it. Remember the cross followed by the resurrection, is the complete or, or, or the greatest revelation of God's glory ever in human history. And that has changed your life. We want to tell the world, but it's as if the world so many times is just not listening. Meredith talked about this revival. The, the Bible says that the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth even as the water covers the season. That is every square inch. That's the 1040 window. That is in Jerusalem. That is in the Gaza Strip. That is in Jordan and Syria and Iran. That is throughout the 1040 window, throughout the world. God's glory is going to fill the earth. The knowledge of that, that is the gospel. Because that's how Isaiah uses this word glory. Now, what's in this for us? Because as discouraged as we can get sometimes, in my testimony, in my sharing the gospel, 
Does it just fall on deaf ears? I believe the Bible has an answer that's going to bring us some hope tonight. So I'm, I'm going to read a few uh, verses from John 10, excuse me, John 12, and then we're going to go to that passage, Isaiah 6. But are you with me? John 12, verse, starting with verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'm going to suggest to you that the arm of the Lord, that is his strength, that is his reaching of salvation to the lost, to whom has it been revealed? Now, Isaiah knew that he had preached it, but it's one thing to preach the word, and I'm going to suggest it's another thing for it to be revealed. See, we can see something but we sometimes just don't see that, that something. We can know a truth, but we really don't really know that truth. Well, I'm going to suggest that when he says it's been revealed, it's like their eyes are opened. I get it. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. And we looked at that and we said that's not God trying to keep people from being saved. It's not God trying to harden their hearts so that they are not able to believe. But we understood that to realize that according to Romans 1, there were sinners. And the wrath of God is revealed against the wickedness, excuse me, against wicked men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's just something in the heart of man. I was online today. Uh, I'm looking up for something for our young men are going to get together tomorrow morning um, within what's called the cosmological argument. I'm not going to get into that. But it's a very simple uh, expression. Basically, how can something come from nothing? And then... Someone had to be the first cause. So it's an argument about the first cause. And I, I said, well, what do atheists say? And I've, I've kind of read some here and there. And I came across this one article, and I had to laugh. It was so much mumbo-jumbo because he was an atheist. And he said, well, we really don't know about And he started questioning just the very existence of anything and everything. So everything's a question mark. And if it's a question mark, it's not knowable. And we'll just never know if there's a God. And I just thought, are you serious? No way. Dude, when you look around and you just say, yeah, this all happened by chance, there is something that you have allowed to sear your conscience. And my Bible says that that is the sinfulness of your heart. God gave them over. Although they knew God, they didn't recognize him in all of his glory. They didn't. Isaiah, it says, verse 41, Isaiah said this from Isaiah 6. He said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. You know, 
I had to ask myself a question. Why does John word it this way? Isaiah said this, that God was doing this. In essence, God was giving them over to their sins so that they couldn't believe. Their sin had hardened their heart. It says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. And I want you now to go to Isaiah 6. See, Jesus' glory his majesty displayed on the cross. That is the light of the gospel. Right before this passage, it talks about the light casting out the darkness. The passage immediately following this quote from Isaiah 6 talks about the light. Follow the light so you no longer walk in the darkness. And yet men in their sinfulness, repressing the obvious knowledge of God, their hearts are wicked. Guys, that was you and me. And yet our sin blinds our eyes so that we can't see the very plain truth. And that's what, that's what Romans 1 says. It's, it's plain. God is plain in creation. I mean, you might as well hired a, sky a skywriter and said, there is a God. Even so, okay, anyway, the truth is that men's hearts are blinded. And Isaiah wanted, he, Isaiah said this because when he saw Jesus' glory, the most obvious question is, oh my goodness, how it impacted him. The people are, yeah, they're going to repent. And God had to tell him, Isaiah, but that's not the case. There's going to come a time, but not right now. And I want to get into that because as we share the gospel, we've been changed by the glory of God, by the cross of Jesus Christ, just as Isaiah was changed. And we want to share it with people, but there's a problem in this world that God is in the process of remedying and you need to know how he's remedying it so you can pray accordingly, so you can live accordingly, so you can interact with them accordingly. So Isaiah 6, here we go. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Isaiah 6, man, I got a book through this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is Jesus. According to John, this is Jesus. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings he covered their faces, with two covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh Almighty. That's Jesus sitting on that throne, Yahweh Almighty in unveiled glory. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, when he had taken the tongues from the altar, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
And I said, here am I. Send me. Church, that's you. You are Isaiah in this passage. You have, you have a vision. You have seen. You have witnessed. You've experienced the glory of God by the cross and resurrection. It's changed your life. And now he is sending you. This is for you. As you go out into the world to proclaim him, Be this, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn and be healed. Then I said, now listen to this, for how long, O Lord, and when you're witnessing to your friends, that is a good question to ask, Lord God. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're not getting it. It's, it's like their hearts are so closed. How long, O oh Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhab inhabitant. Understand the situation back then. See, he's prophesying the Babylonian destruction and their exile until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. The land will be. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is a vision Isaiah has of Jesus' glory. It undoes him. This is a vision of Jesus' holiness. And it emanates glory. And, and that's just one thing I can never describe. I, I, light. Glow. I can't describe God's glory. Isaiah doesn't try to describe his glory. It just impacts him. I want you to note, it says that when they spoke, when the seraph spoke, it says the sound of their voices shook the doorposts and thresholds. And the temple was filled with smoke. This was preparation for Isaiah. Do you know why? See, every year, the high priest had the privilege, and I'm going to word it that way, it was a privilege. It was dangerous, but it was a privilege to go into the Holy of Holies. They were allowed, the priests were allowed in the holy place, but only the high priest once a year into the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of which was the mercy seat with two cherubim with their wings like this facing each other, and their wings touching their own and touching each other's. That's the mercy seat. That, God says, that is where I dwell. That is my throne. So when the high priest went back in there, he had to first fill a censer with incense and light it 
from the altar of incense and he had to swing it so that it would create all of this smoke. And it's interesting, when he would go into the Holy of Holies, the, the idea, Scripture says, is that it would fill the Holy of Holies with smoke so that he could not see the unveiled glory of God and die. And here smoke is filling this temple because if Isaiah sees the unveiled glory of God as a sinful man, he would die. And yet with the unveil, beholding the unveiled glory of God, he says, I am undone. Woe is me. When he says woe, it's not W-H-O-A like woe or woe horsey. No, it's woe. Oh my goodness, woe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Woe is me. I'm, this word for ruined, it, it, this word for undone is I'm, I'm ruined. I'm destroyed. There's something inside of me that is just crumbling in the very presence of God. And it is my sinfulness. And I cannot even stand in the presence of God. So many times when the priest would minister before the temple and God would visit it, they would hit the deck. They couldn't minister because of the, the veiled glory of God in a, in a cloud or in smoke. That's how powerful it was. And Isaiah says, I am undone. My lips are unclean. Remember when in Luke 5, Peter is asked by Jesus if he can climb in and preach. And when he's done preaching, he says, hey, Peter, yeah, I know you've been out all night fishing. Didn't catch anything. I want us to do it again. Jesus, I can only imagine. He's thinking, he doesn't say this. He's thinking, you're the carpenter, I'm the fisherman, okay? Let's just get that straight here. I'm a professional. I've been doing this all my life. Even before I wanted to, I was fishing with my dad. I know this Sea of Galilee. What you're asking me to do, and I just cleaned the nets, really. But he knows that Jesus is sent from God. And so he bites his pride and he says, because you say it, I will do it. And he goes out into deep water and Jesus says, now cast your net on the other side of the boat. Okay, so only 10 feet over. Now they're in deep water. It's not like Jesus is looking over and he sees this huge school of fish up there. We go, throw it over here. He can't see anything. It's too deep. And so he throws the net over. There is so much fish. It begins to break his net. John and James both come to help him and they take this draught of fish in. And while this is happening, Jesus is in Peter's boat and Peter says, depart from me. I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter had, he saw Jesus' glory, because that's what miracles are. John 2 tells us the first miracle, it revealed Jesus' glory. That's what miracles do, they reveal Jesus' glory. He saw the revelation of Jesus' glory, at least in part. He has the same response that Isaiah does. And now he too, Peter, is commissioned just like Isaiah is. I'm seeing a pattern here. And so what we begin to discover is that as God commissions him, he says, but before you go, 
Before you go, Isaiah, you need to know that their hearts are hard, and I've given them over to that. They will not believe. How would you like Jesus, when you first get saved, says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, but nobody's going to get saved? Oh, great. So I've just got to tell people and there's no response. It's not like nobody would, but so few would. I would say, Lord, thanks, but can you just kind of give me a little bit more successful? I would, I would like that. So he does this, but he, God tells him that their sin is just blinding their eyes. I want you to imagine this. Maybe you can relate a little bit better. Maybe it's been a while since you were in the world that you've been rescued from. The world is like a person with virtual goggles on. And they, what they see is they see a, the, the, the tide coming in and waves lapping the, the shore. They see mountains off in the distance and birds calling. And it's beautiful for them. Oh, it's just, it's so, the sky is blue. But the reality is they are in a cesspool. Do I need to describe what a, an actual cesspool is? How many of you have a septic tank in your backyard? That is what they are in with virtual goggles on. They are steeped in their sin and all of its consequences. It has seeped through them. Every square inch of their being, it's affected them, but they can't see it with their virtual goggles on. Their eyes are blinded. You know, it kind of reminds me, the world in this experience kind of reminds me of that scene in The Matrix where the guy who betrays him, and I can't remember his name, and he's sitting down across from, wow, who is it now? And he's making a deal. I'm going to do this for you because then you're going to plug me back into the matrix because the matrix is not reality. And he's sitting down and he takes a bite of the steak and he, and he says something along these lines, I would rather live in the deception that I am eating this succulent steak than the reality of the trials of the real world. That is the lostness of the world. That was me before 14. So how long, Lord? How long with the virtual goggles? How long will their hearts be hard? How long will I be sharing Christ with them? How long for Isaiah will I be preaching and then suddenly they'll get it? He, three times he says until, until the cities are ruined, until the houses are left deserted, until the Lord has sent them all away in exile. I'm going to call this God's, listen to this, God's redemptive judgment. I think you've heard me share that phrase before. God's redemptive judgment. God gives them over to their sin, wallowing in the cesspool until, if, I don't know what it would be like working in a cesspool. You, you don't have rubber garments on a hazmat suit. Nope. It is just you in your bathing suit thinking you are in the most beautiful vacation spot in the world. Little do you know, until their lives are destroyed, until they taste the destruction, 
until they come to their senses that they're eating pig swill. Because that's what happened with the lost son. It says he came to his senses. So tempted to just eat the pigs. You know, I, I, I'd be better off in my father's house as a servant than here. And he, at least that. And so God allows the world to experience the depravity, experience the consequences of their sin. Until, until when then? Until the time comes in which, and he uses this idea of the tenth. Do you know what? It, it, it's as if they're going through all of this refining, refining in judgment until finally he's down to the tenth. It's as if Jesus preaching the truth, constantly preaching the truth, and, there, and there's a, a division, a wedge that's forming until finally some of those Jews believe in him. And I'm just going to tell you, God is going to bring this type of redemptive judgment. I'm going to give you some examples here shortly, but he's going to do this until there's a repentance. One-tenth will remain. Leviticus 27.32, it says that the tenth belongs to the Lord. It is holy. So when he's talking about the tenth here, what he's doing is he's in essence saying, I'm, I need to bring judgment upon this nation until what is left are those who will truly believe in me. God will apply the judgment until they believe. God will apply the redemptive judgment to the people that you're trying to reach with the gospel until they finally are so tired of their sin and the hopelessness that they're experiencing that they will turn to Jesus. That is Romans 1, God giving them over to their sin. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, but it is the kindness of the Lord that leads them to repentance. And I mentioned that last week. You see, God always has, he gives so much away, but there is always something that is his. You sitting here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are his. You are that tenth. How about that God gives the entire garden and everything to Adam and Eve, but one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it. All the people in the world, but only eight were saved in the ark. All the people in the world living their lives, but God chose Abraham and his descendants. All the Israelites, but the Levites were the Lord's. All, all Israel, but the Levites were the Lord's. All Levites, but Aaron's descendants, see, they were the ones that were, in particular, they were the ones called to be priests, not the other Levites. All the earth is given, but Israel, the promised land, was the Lord's, and he allowed his people to live in that land. They live in this land and it was all given to them except Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the Lord's. And then in Jerusalem, every, you can live wherever you want, but you cannot live specifically in my house. That is given to me. And of all the temple, the place where you cannot go but once a year is the Holy of Holies because that belongs to me. You can do whatever you want all of your life, six days a week, but one day is mine. That's the Sabbath. You can earn as much money as you want. You can spend it how you choose so I can bless you. 
but one-tenth of it is mine. That belongs to me. All the world, but the church, the elect, belong to him. Even that tenth will go through trials. There's more I want to say about this, but I'm, I'm running out of time, and so I'm going to, I'm going to cut this a, a bit short. But do you guys realize <coughs> that after World War II, they said go into Japan. They've been humbled. Go in missionaries and preach the gospel. They didn't. And to this day, Japan is animist. South Korea, fighting North Korea. All of that war, so many thousands and thousands died. To what end? Pretty much nothing. The boundaries were pretty much the same before the, as it was before the war. And that was humbling to South Korea. Go in there with missionaries, share the gospel. And when they did, the churches in South Korea are the largest in the entire world. See, they were humbled through redemptive judgment to be brought to Christ and at the preaching of the gospel. Argentina, the Falkland Islands are 300 miles off the coast. That's like in their backyard. England, who owns them and rules them, they're what, how many thousand miles away? And so they want to take the Falklands back. Just so you know, the people who lived in the Falklands, the vast majority of them did not want Argentina to rule them. They wanted Britain to continue to rule. And so here they are, Argentina's fighting a war in their backyard, and they lose in the early 1980s. In the 1980s, they preach the gospel. God does a miracle. Three million in that decade in Argentina come to Christ. Three million. Prisons upended, completely changed. Throughout the New Testament, you see people who come to the end of themselves. Twelve years, a woman who has an issue of blood. She has tried physicians all over. She spent all of her money. There is no hope. And so finally she sees Jesus and she just touches the hem of her, his, his garment. Maybe he is the answer. And she is completely healed. Brought to the end of herself. But yet there's Jesus. Story after story, Lazarus dying. What hope is there now? Oh, wait and see. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. Story after story of lepers, outcasts of society, just choosing, you know what, this is just my life until one day they meet Jesus and they're miraculously healed and their life changes forever. A crippled man at the, at the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3 Anything, alms for the poor, just a little bit for me. He's begging, he's crippled, he can't walk. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he helps him to his feet and the man dances. Healed in Jesus' name. I'm sure he went out and got a job and he began to just praise God. He supported his family if he had one. And his life was completely changed as he followed Jesus. But he was brought to that point of desperation. So when I look back on this story with Parks Lincoln of Longwood. I just say, God, there were so many people who witnessed that. They heard about it, and then they began to tell, and I know that because the GM found out about it. And I just pray, Lord, I have no clue. I, 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 shared, I, I, I shared Christ with them. I shared your miraculous power, and here and there, I've shared the gospel with people, but Lord, 
I have seen nothing and I trust you. And here's what I pray, guys. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I pray spare them crisis or tragedy, but whatever it takes, bring them to that place where they must have Jesus. And I encourage you, pray for your friends this way. Allow God to bring, don't pray, oh God, just bring just bring redemptive judgment like Pastor Mike said. Please don't pray judgment upon them. We're never instructed to do that. That's God's business. He knows the best way to rescue them. For Jim Stapler, he had a 50-50 chance of living last year as he went into that operation. Came out and it was a success and he gave his heart to Christ. We don't pray for judgment. We leave that in God's hand. God knows exactly what they need to come to that point where all that remains is them turning to God. They're the tenth. And they say, Jesus, rescue me, please. They reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Please, God. We look for opportunities to help and love them. And, and look around your neighborhood. Look around the workplace. Look for needs. Ask, hey, I'm, I want to pray for you. Can, can you tell me how I can pray for you? Allow God to reveal needs. See what you can do to meet those needs because it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. So you're that bright, shining light. Shine your light. I can remember, I'm going to close with this, Meredith, and who was with you? You were going prayer walking through, uh, what's that little neighborhood that we reached out to? Groveview. It was Laura. And it was Beth, the lady that is, yeah. So here they are. They're, our church is prayer walking. If you've never heard of prayer walking, it's basically praying on site with insight. In other words, as you're praying and you're, you're just sensing from the Lord how to pray. Okay, that's all you're doing. How, how do we pray? You're walking past houses, praying for houses, praying for people. If you happen to see someone in a garage, maybe go up, ask some questions, minister, how can you pray for them and so on. But you're prayer walking. So they're walking down this street and out of this one house charges a lady and she basically I can't remember the interaction but her life has just been destroyed her her husband apparently doesn't love her their marriage is on the rocks there she is divorcing him this is it today it's done and Meredith and Laura have a chance to share Jesus with him her name is Beth you want to know why I know Beth's name? Because Beth got saved and became a part of our church. And her testimony is God sovereignly met her at a crisis point in her life. Sovereignly. As she was just charging out and she was leaving. Two ladies who knew Jesus ministered to her and prayed over her. And over time, God rescued her. Church, I want you to think about those that you are seeking to reach. Understand, God loves them more than you do. As you're praying for them, he knows exactly what can bring them to Christ. God, no matter what it takes, please win them. Bring them to that place where the only way they can look is up and just crying out to you. Help them open their eyes if it be that they're the tenth that's left in the land. Whatever you need to do so that they turn to you. Church, this is what we're called to. 
There is hope. People's sins blind their eyes, but God knows exactly what he is doing to be able to bring them to Jesus. And I believe bring a worldwide awakening, even in Israel and all of this animosity. The Messiah Jesus is their only hope. And if you have a chance to meet a Jew, share Isaiah 53 with them. Read all 12 verses for them and say, do you know who this is? See, that's my Jesus. And he was a Jew and he came and he died for your sins too. Can you stand with me? Father, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts and so encourage us, Lord God. You know exactly what we're do- what you're doing. And Father, I just pray all of these people, some of which we've shared their gospel or our testimony, we see no fruit. But God, would you do something of a miraculous nature? Reveal your glory to them, Lord God. Show them Jesus, that he's the only hope for them in this day. And as you bring them to that point, God, I just pray that so many, would come to Jesus. Please, God, have mercy. Use us. Lord, here am I. Send me. In Jesus' name, I pray.